Amen. The Lord is um, some kind of good. Amen. I mean to tell you, we're talking about this evening the posture of thanksgiving. And I, I was thinking about this as Pastor Adams called, and I wanted to know what was the posture of thanksgiving because in my mind I was saying that thanksgiving should not be an event. Thanksgiving should be something that is ongoing. And so I began to look back over my life and think about what Thanksgiving meant to me. And so growing up, as Pastor Adam said in Chicago, uh, Thanksgiving meant a lot of ham, a lot of turkey, a lot of cranberry sauce. And uh, during the Christmas season, uh, my thanks was predicated on what I received. And if I received what I asked for, I would give the obligatory thank you. And so back then it was, well, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? And back then it was G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. And I wanted to be the first one to get mine. So when I went outside, I could show it off before everybody else got a chance to show theirs off. And it was predicated on what I received. But as I've aged over the years, I saw Brother Jeff, and he saw me, and we hugged when, we, when he came in, and he looked at me and said, Brother, your hair is grayer. I said, that's true. So it, over time, your thanksgiving and the things that you're thankful for shifts. And I remember telling people back at the church, I said, you know, we used to sit around and talk about, hey, man, uh, what you drinking, man? Come on over, get a Bud Light or a Miller Light or Scotch on the Rocks or something. And now what we talk about in these later years is what flavor of Metamucil? How much fiber are you getting? Are you staying regular? <laughs> Your thankfulness changes over the years. And, and whereas it used to be about gifts coming my way, people say, what do you want for Christmas now? Continued health. Continued health for my bride. Continued health for my family. Continued health for my children and my grandchildren. And those things shift over the years. Oh, daddy, but what do you actually want? No, that's really what I want. Because uh, health conditions will change your thought process a lot, won't they? If you, if you start dealing with chronic issues, you begin to think differently about what your priorities are in life. And so you become thankful about the things that you really should be thankful about. And I just want to put a pin right there because I didn't recognize my bride. This is my bride, Vicki Shepherd. We've been together 35 years. We've been married 33 of those years. And I, uh, I'm thankful for her. I love her, and I'm jealous of her because I will never, ever preach a sermon that, like she preached. Several years ago when I was in the hospital, she came dragging her stuff up in the Willis Night and Bozier and making up the bed over in the corner. And I said, girl, what are you doing? And she preached the greatest sermon I've ever heard. She said, where you are, I am. Talk about thankful. 
Talk about thankful. Amen. So I got to thinking about that. And as we get ready to go into tonight's lesson, I just want to frame it this way. During the last 11 years, my my bride and I, we've been here 11 years. We got here in August of 2000. Well, she got here in January and I got here in August of 2011. And talking about Thanksgiving and being thankful. In 11 years between us in here in Bozier, in 11 years, we've had seven major surgeries. Five years ago, our oldest son as a pedestrian got hit by a car from behind 55 miles an hour. And he stayed with us for three years healing. He's in Savannah, Georgia, working as a policeman now. Praise God for that. And so in 11 years, seven major surgeries, an older son hit by a car, daughter has a major surgery. That makes eight. And then Brother Shepherd gets COVID. This is pre-vaccine COVID. And when I caught COVID, I did 10 days at home, nine days in the hospital. On day three, I had been, for three, two and a half days, I'd been laying around, squirming around, trying to find a good position, couldn't eat, couldn't drink, and all of this. And somebody said, you need to open up your blinds and stand up and let the sun hit you. So on day three, I stood up in the room, and I was holding on to my wife's shoe tree, barely. And I remember saying these words, Lord, if Vicki... My, my bride is in a good place financially, and she doesn't have to change her quality of life too much. If she's there, then take me wherever you need to take me with COVID. Just don't let them have to go through it. Then was the first time in my life, Pastor Adams that I truly understood what Thanksgiving was all about. Because in our text today, in Psalm 100, in verse 3, the word of the Lord says this, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. When I stood on my wife's shoe tree, Barely. And talked to the Lord for about a hot 30 seconds. I realized then that in order to get into a posture of thanksgiving, I must understand what it means to surrender to his sovereignty. For the first time in my life, back on October the 13th, 2020, I understood what surrender was because I no longer began to think about the bank account. I no longer was thinking about 
what the children were doing. I was no longer thinking about any of that stuff. I understood for the first time in my life that I'm sicker than I've ever been. I have no control over what's going on in my life. There's no medication that I can take. The doctors don't know what to give me. I have no idea what's going on in my life. I've never had bilateral pneumonia. I cannot breathe. I cannot eat. I cannot drink. I cannot talk. I did not feel that death was imminent, but it was very plausible, and then I understood surrender. And so for the first time in my life, Brother Jeff, I understood what surrender meant. And I said, God, if she's good, then take me wherever you need to take me. Just don't let them have to go through the same thing. And he did. And seven more days at home and then off to Willis Knight and Bozier in the, in the COVID ward for nine days. And they're giving me remdesivir and all of the different things that they put given to me and oxygen. And, and here was the blessing that I didn't even know was a blessing for you all people who are in the medical field. When I walked into the emergency room, I went to tap the thing to put my name in the kiosk and I couldn't stand up. So I went and sat in the lady's chair. She said, sir, you got to go over there. I said, ma'am, I can't breathe. And I had a mask on. I can't breathe. So they called the lady out the back. She put the pulse oximeter on my finger. She ran back, got a wheelchair, put me on oxygen. I said, what was my pulse ox? She said, 83. For those of y'all don't know that, 83 is the line of demarcation to intubate you, whether or not they're going to put you on uh, oxygen or whether they're going to put you on a ventilator. Didn't know all that. So all of these things were going on. But I understood on October 13th what surrender was all about. If we're going to be in a posture, family of God, of thanksgiving, we have to surrender to God's sovereignty. So here in the 100th Psalm, that's in the fourth book of Psalms, and it falls between 93 and 100, what they call the kingship Psalms. And the kingship Psalms are the Psalms that deal specifically with God's sovereignty and his supremacy. And you want to be in a posture where you can surrender to God's sovereignty because it gives you an understanding that he is really in control. It says, I know that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. You know, when we're in a good mood and things are going good, we think we all at the bag of chips, don't we? We got it going on. We're rocking and rolling. But the Lord has a way of putting you in a place where you can acknowledge who he really is. He is God. It is he that hath made me and not we ourselves. Here's the thing, family. He's the creator. We are his creation. But here's what he did for us. He made us in his image. And God made us in such a way that we above all those little animals that run around, the cats and the dogs and the mice and all those folks. And we are his prized creation. But here's what he gave us. He gave us the power of free will. And when he gave us the power of free will, he gave you the power to choose him over anything else. You say, well, why is that important? Well, it's like this. Every decision in our lives is a crossroad 
to either choose God's way or my way. How many of y'all have problems in traffic? How many of y'all say stuff in traffic that you wouldn't say at church? That's a crossroad to choose God's way or your way. And so he, he wants us to choose because God, since he is our creator, he could make us do it. He could put us under his thumb and say, you're going to do this because I created you. You know, like we tell our children, I brought you in this world. I can take you out. He created me. He could put me under his thumb and say, do this. But what he wants is you to choose him. Because when you choose him, he knows that you want him. Like he wants you. You say, I still don't get that, bro. Well, let's let's break it down like this. I like to tell this because if you've ever been in a, how many of you all, if you weren't born saved, how many of you have ever been to a club? Amen. And there's always that time, I think I've told this before, that the DJ wants to rest so he plays a song that nobody dances on so everybody can go take a breath and wipe their face off. And on the worst song of the night, when nobody's on the dance floor, I walk and I say, let's dance. And she's looking around like, on this song? There's nobody on the dance floor. It doesn't matter because I choose you. Because I want to be with you. There's nothing in the place that's going on that supersedes me being with you. I want you. There's nothing in your life that should supersede you wanting to be with God and making a decision for God. He says, choose me over your way. Because when you choose me, you have now understood where the posture of thanksgiving is because you have surrendered to my sovereignty. You understand that I am God. It is he that has made me and not we ourselves. And I am his people and the sheep of his pasture. You know why that's important, family? Y'all know shepherds' jobs, a job of a shepherd, a a real shepherd, is a long, dirty, daily, arduous job. Shepherds don't have a vacation plan. They don't have sick leave. Shepherds are people who work pretty much all the time because sheep... Are pretty dumb. And so it takes a lot for them to train and to nurture the sheep. And God says here that I am the sheep of his pasture. And what is he telling me about why I should be thankful? Because he spends time nurturing and nourishing my life. 
He doesn't just leave me out there any old sort of way. He spent time with me. He spent time creating me. He spent time assigning me to my assignment in life. He spent time loving me. He spent time training me. He spent time giving me his word. He spent time doing that. So if he's going to nurture and nourish me and clean up after me and watch me and protect me, I just ought to choose him. I ought to surrender to his sovereignty. After we're going to surrender, I think we ought to celebrate in song. Psalm 100 verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. How many folks can sing? All right, how many folks make a joyful noise? All right. Celebrate in song. Because when you celebrate, when you sing, and you, you ever walk around the house and hum, and you got that song in your heart? The good song. The good song. I'm not talking about, they call it Stormy Monday. Tuesday's just as bad. No, that, that's not the song. That's not the song. At least get to earth, wind, and fire. When you feel down and out, sing a song. The song in your heart. You ought to celebrate in song. Do you know that Zephaniah 3 and 17 says that God celebrates us in his singing? God is celebrating us in his singing. We ought to celebrate in song because it is a privilege to do so. You can see this in the Psalms a lot because uh, there's a portion of the Psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent. And the Psalms of Ascent normally was sing, sung when the, when the Israelites were making their way to Jerusalem. And they had to go to Jerusalem a minimum of three times a year. If you were age 13 or older, you, uh, specifically males, you would have to go to Jerusalem three times a year and celebrate the mandatory three feasts. One being Passover, two being the Feast of Weeks, and three being the Feast of Booths. And at each one, they would make a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. And while they were making that pilgrimage, they would sing. And they would sing songs of celebration. They were celebrating in anticipation of thanksgiving and in anticipation of worship. And you know, when you sing, it just makes the trip go a little bit faster. We took that idea in the military. It's called cadence. And when you're running and walking in the military, you start walking and you're walking down the street and you hear somebody go, ooh. Oh, oh, mama, mama, can't you see? Look what the Air Force done to me. <laughs> Amen. That's what they used to do on the road march. 
because on the road march, you, you're carrying a, or a 50 or 75-pound Alice pack, and you're walking in line. And for us tall folks who like to stride out, you got to keep your strides a little bit shorter so everybody can stay together so it makes it more painful and it makes it seem longer. So they start calling cadence to take your mind off of the journey that you're going through. But when you're going through something and when you're going through the journey and you got that 75, 125, 150-pound weight on your back called stress, called anxiety, called I'm tired, called I'm fed up, called I'm sick. You can sing your song in anticipation of deliverance and thanksgiving when you come to God and you can say, oh, I'm thankful to God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Lord, I just want to say thank you. You celebrate a song in anticipation of what God is going to do for you. It's a privilege to sing songs of thanksgiving. Don't you ever let anybody shut your song off. Sing your song. Don't tell me I can't sing. You sing your song. Your children tell you, Mommy, you off key. Sing your song. <laughs> you don't know what I've been through, child. I, I got you. You don't know what I've been through. <laughs> sing and celebrate in song because singing is a posture of thanksgiving. Number one, surrender to God's sovereignty. Number two, celebrate in song. Number three, be secure in his supremacy. Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. Listen at the emphasis on these words. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. God is supreme. Be secure in the God you serve. When you're secure in the God you serve, you can give him thanks in all things. You know, Paul says something like this. You know, I, I've been abased and I know how to abound. But, you know, I've learned how to be, in all things, content. You've got to get to a place where you are secure in the supremacy in the God which you serve. For this might be, I believe as Thessalonians says, this might be the will of your God for you in your life. I don't understand. And family God, let me pause right there for a minute. Let me tell you something. Every decision we make in life, every one of them, we are operating on limited information. We don't know everything, but the God we serve does know everything. So because he makes decisions for us that are in our best interest, we have to trust him in his supremacy that he's leading us the right way. So you say, well, I didn't like that decision. Well, you know what? Your children didn't like it when you made them eat spinach either, did they? Okay, well, we'll go, back to the, we'll go back to the top. You know why you made your children eat those green vegetables? Because you didn't want them to be my age talking about, boy, I need to take more fiber. 
You make them regular when they're young, they'll be regular when they get older. Listen, y'all, as Reverend Hobson likes to tell me from Stonewall, he says, because Reverend Hobson was going through a few things in his life, he said, boy, keep having birthdays. You understand? You change your priorities, but you train them in the way that they should go so that they don't have problems later on in life that they could be, that are preventable. The God you serve, the supreme one that you serve, is trying to direct you from a proactive model to prevent you from going through things that you have no business going through. As a matter of fact, if you look back on the children of Israel during the time of the judges, at the end of the book of Judges, it says something like this. All of the judges did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And so the Israelites were on this sevenfold cycle of repeated behavior constantly, constantly, constantly through Deborah and through Gideon and all of these judges. And then when Samuel finally came along, Samuel was going to be the one who was going to transition them from the judges period into the monarchy period. But 1 Samuel 3 and 1 gives you an indication about how disobedient the Israelites were because in 1 Samuel 3 and 1 it says this. He says, the word of the Lord was precious in those days because there was no open vision. God did not speak to any prophet during the period of the judges save Deborah once, the one who preceded Gideon, and then Samuel. So in a period of about 400 to 450 years, God only spoke to three people because of repeated cycles of disobedience. Let me put a plug right there. And I will tell you this. The Israelites didn't have a generational curse. What they had was generational behaviors. Because they did not look back in their history and see where they had abandoned God, they had disregarded God, the next generation repeated the same behavior. So God repeated his discipline. But it was not generational curse. So I, I, that term kind of bugs me. So I'm, I'm not soapbox. I'm just telling you. Be careful when you use the word generational curse because it's probably not a generational curse. It's just generational behavior. You don't have to go through certain things because choices have consequences. Stop the behavior and you'll stop the consequences. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Well, let's see what this is. Let's, let's break this down a little bit. When it says enter into his gates with thanksgiving, the word that that comes from is toda. And that word toda means to confess. It means to pour out. It means to empty out and give a thank offering from a personal perspective. But then when it says enter into his course with praise, that word praise comes from the Hebrew word tehillah, which means kind of the same thing except a public praise. So what he's basically saying is this, get your personal praise together. And then when you come into public worship, that should be the overflow of what's happening in your personal life. You get your personal Thanksgiving in. You wait, I put it in everyday terms. Next time you come to church or Sunday school, don't put any petitions before God as best you can. We always, got to, we always get the phone call at 3 in the morning. But as best you can, don't put any petitions before God. Lord, heal me. Lord, I'm tired. Lord, get... No, don't do that. The next time you come into the worship service, into the public corporate worship, 
Just wake up and give God praise and adoration and thanksgiving. And watch how it changes the tenor of your service. When you don't put petitions before God and, and you don't walk into the service with so much luggage and baggage and then you lay down on the aisle and say, Pastor Doyle, please preach me out of this mess. No, instead of that, offer God praise and adoration and thanksgiving as you approach the service. Sing your song in the car as you approach the service. And then when you enter into the service, give him a public praise. You've got thanksgiving in your heart. You give him a public praise and watch how it changes your worship and watch how it changes the tenor of the service. Toda, personal praise. Tehila, public praise. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And so I'm just going to end like this. Be secure in his supremacy. You say, why can I do that? Well, God did that for us. He talked about who this God is that we serve. If you want to be in a posture of thanksgiving, you surrender to his sovereignty, you celebrate in song, and be secure in this supremacy. The writer of Hebrews begins with this. In Hebrews 1, God who has sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, in these last days has spoken unto us by his son. Now, after he says he's spoken to us by his son, he gives us seven distinct and unique qualities about the supremacy of his son. Number one, my son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Number two, my son, by whom also he made the worlds. Number three, my son, who is the brightness of his glory. Number four, my son, who is the express image of his person. Number five, my son, who upholds all things with the power of his right hand. Number six, my son, when he had himself purged our sins. And number seven, my son, who is now seated on the right hand of the Father, the majesty on high. That is God himself describing himself as the incarnate son of himself, Jesus, as the supreme one. But then he puts a nice old cherry on top. Verse four says, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than all those other people. Well, what is his name? What is the name of the one to whom I give thanks? What is his name? Well, God over in Exodus had a conversation, or Moses was having a conversation with God. And Moses asked God, who should I tell them sent me? And God said, tell them I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. Well, if Jesus is supreme and Jesus is God, then it's only likely that he should say the same thing, right? So if you flip over into the book of John, here's what Jesus says. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am the son of God. 
and I am supreme in this place. Only I can purge your sins. Only I am seated at the right hand of the Father. Only I intercede on behalf for your sin. I am the Son of God. Philippians say, I thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, and he took on the form of a servant. He is the great I am. We ought to be thankful for God. We ought to be thankful for him. Every step you take ought to be veiled in thanks. Every move you make ought to be veiled in thanks. When you wake up in the morning, you ought to say thank you. When you lay down at night, you ought to say thank you. When you start your car, you ought to say thank you. When you don't have an accident, you ought to say thank you. When God brings you out, you ought to say thank you. When he delivers your child, you ought to say thank you. When he brings your child through, you ought to say thank you. When you're just walking down the street. I've got to be in a posture of thanksgiving. Family of God, the world needs you to be thankful to your creator. We operate in a world that seems that everybody has impulse control problems. Every time somebody does something to you, you got to react a certain way. And sometimes we even brag about it. Child, you don't want the old me to come out. <laughs> Family of God, I've stopped watching the news. I'm, I'm spending more time in prayer because I'm going to tell you something. The world don't need the old ship. The world needs to see a thankful ship. The world needs to be able to look at me and do what Galatians says, when it pleased God to reveal his son in me. I ought to be walking around revealing the son out of my life, the son of God in me. And the way I can do that is to be in a posture of thanksgiving. Why don't I ever see you concerned? Because I'm giving God thanks. But he did this and that. It's his privilege. He's God. Why don't you ever worry? Because he's God. I'm not talking about cliche. I'm not talking about if you're going to pray, don't worry. If you worry, don't pray. That's good to hear. But I'm talking about you got to be in a posture. You got to be in a mindset. You got to be in a physical posture to say, you know what? I'm really going to turn this thing over to God. I am truly going to surrender to him. Get yourself in a posture of thanksgiving. And when you do that, you can change some of these things that's going on around in this world. Because people are going to start looking at you saying, you know, you just act different. You know what? Because you don't know the God I serve. You want to act different? Get to know the God I serve. Surrender to his sovereignty. Celebrate in song and be secure in his supremacy.